Last week, we kicked off a new sermon series that we're titling Anthropology. I don't think I've ever been more excited and more nervous at the same time about a new sermon series. I am fully convinced that this is a series we need as a church. See, in all of our sermon series, our hope is to not just teach you what God's Word says, but to equip you so that you can then have conversations about it throughout your week. And I know that many of you are already having conversations about these topics. I know because just in the last couple of months, I've counseled multiple families who are wrestling with questions about manhood and womanhood, masculinity, femininity, gender identity, sexuality, and other related topics. And they're wrestling with these questions with their kids with their coworkers and with friends and family. And so if you're having these conversations anyway, or if you feel like God is calling you to engage in these conversations, then it's our responsibility as pastors to teach what God's Word says about it and to equip you to have some of those conversations. And so to help you with this, we created a whole series and a whole library of video conversations just for this series. It's at pursuegod.org slash anthropology. And so I would encourage you guys to take a look at that over the coming weeks. I encourage you to use some of those resources as you engage in these conversations. Now, in case you missed the opening week last week, let me just kind of catch you up on where we've been and, and then where we're going in these series. Last week, we talked about the difference between men and women and that the reality is that there is a God-designed difference and that it's a good thing. We saw that men and women are of equal value and equal dignity in the eyes of God because both of them bear the image of Almighty God. So men are not better than women. Women are not better than men. They are equal in the eyes of God in regards to their dignity and their value. But equal doesn't mean the same. We saw that God created differences between men and women, and yet our culture is trying to blur the lines between masculinity and femininity. In fact, our, our culture is telling you that you get to choose if you want to be male or female. And if you think about it, that means culture is telling you that somehow you know better than the all-knowing, all-powerful God who created you. And without sounding insensitive, guys, that's just foolishness. That's not biblical wisdom. Now today we're going to talk about biblical womanhood, and I'm sure some of the ladies are like, oh great, I can't wait for this middle-aged man to tell me all about womanhood, right? <laughs> He's going to enlighten me about womanhood. Well guys, I'm going to do the very best that I can to keep my biases and my perspectives out of this and just, just share what God's Word says. But I'm not perfect, I'm broken, I'm going to mess up a little bit probably, so I encourage all the ladies to have conversations with other ladies this week about this issue, about this topic. Now we're going to look at womanhood through the lens of Proverbs 31, the last proverb in the book of Proverbs. It's a very compelling picture, a, a portrait of a woman. And if you think about the time and culture in which it was written, it's actually very shocking. And so ladies, if you're feeling a little uneasy right now, if you're starting to tense up because you think I'm going to stand up here and say that the Bible teaches that women should be quiet and weak, that's not at all the picture that Proverbs 31 paints. Proverbs 31 woman is a strong woman, a wise woman, an enterprising woman. Then next week we're going to look at biblical manhood, and I hope every man in here will come back for that, and I hope you'll invite one of your buddies to come with you. 
Because we need men who will step up and be men according to God's Word. You've probably noticed we don't have a lot of men out there. We have a lot of boys with whiskers. A lot of boys with whiskers who like to fight over selfish things, over foolish things. But they're nowhere to be found when God calls them to step up and protect what's right and what's true. Or when God calls them to lead their families in a way that honors their Creator. Or when God calls them to love their wives as Christ loved the church and gave Himself up for her. So man, I hope you'll come back and join us next week. Now I recognize that, that in this series, some of you are likely going to disagree with what we say. And if that happens, I would just ask you to please do one thing. Ask yourself honestly why you disagree. If you disagree because you don't think God's Word teaches what we say it teaches, then we would love to have an honest conversation. Maybe we don't have it 100% right. Now, obviously, we think we have it right. You know, we're doing everything we can to make sure we have it right. But again, we're broken, we're fallen. Maybe we're off on a little something. So if that's the reason you disagree, let's have a, a loving, God-honoring conversation about it. But if you find yourself disagreeing because you don't think it feels right, I would remind you that Jeremiah 17 says that the heart is above all else deceitful and desperately wicked. Which means we don't get to determine what is true or what is right by how we feel about it. So let's jump into this idea of biblical womanhood. The biblical picture of a godly woman combines strength and servanthood. And Proverbs 31 provides the classic Example. Now, before we jump into Proverbs 31, I just want to give you a little background on it, a little context. As with any passage in Scripture, it's important. So Proverbs 31 is somewhat a, a summary of information and of advice that King Lemuel got from his mother. And we don't know really anything about this king. This is the only time we see him in the Bible. But there is a ton of great advice in here. And then in verses 10 through 31, it's specifically advice on the type of woman he should look for the type of person that he should marry. Now, ladies, I want to be very clear that even though the original setting relates to finding a wife, you do not have to be married, and you do not have to be a mom to be the godly woman that God called you to be. Your identity as a child of God is not tied into whether you're married or not, and it's not tied into whether you have kids or not. It's tied into the fact that you are created in the image of Almighty God. The original setting also talks about activities like harvesting grapes or spinning wool. I just want to make sure that we're focused more on the principles behind those activities, like hard work, service, and industriousness, versus the activities themselves, which are more cultural. Because I doubt any of you are going home to press grapes this afternoon, right? And very few of you are probably spinning wool. And then lastly, I don't want you to look at this and get bogged down by a set of expectations. See, we're going to look at five marks of a godly woman, and I would imagine that most of you are going to feel like you don't meet the mark in at least a couple of these areas. Just like when I look at next week's sermon on the five marks of a masculine man according to the Bible, I'm like, man, I fall short in every one of those. But that's not the point of the sermon today, so don't beat yourself up. Instead, what I hope you'll do is I hope you'll celebrate the areas where you recognize God is bringing you into biblical womanhood. And if you are married, I hope your husbands will celebrate and encourage that with you this week. If you are a mom, I hope your kids will celebrate that with you today. 
In fact, man, I'm going to be talking mostly to the women today, but guys, one thing I want to say to you, Proverbs 18.22 says that he who finds a wife finds a good thing and has found favor from the Lord. I hope you guys will remind your wives of that this week. I hope you'll encourage them. I hope you'll celebrate them and their differences. So let's look at the first mark of a godly woman. The first mark of a godly woman is strength. Again, we're going to be in Proverbs 31, specifically verse 17 and 25. It says, She is energetic and strong, a hard worker. She is clothed with strength and dignity, and she laughs without fear of the future. She's clothed with strength and dignity. I love that one of the characteristics of a godly woman is she's strong. Men, do not be afraid of a strong woman. Do not be afraid of a woman who knows who she is, who is comfortable in her own skin and comfortable in her surroundings. And she's clothed with dignity because she honors the Lord in the way that she lives. And if she's clothed with dignity, then we need to treat her with dignity. And a question we should ask ourselves is, well, where does this strength come from that Proverbs talks about? It doesn't come from the gym. Oh, there's nothing wrong with going to the gym, ladies, if if that makes you feel energized, if that makes you feel healthy. But it comes from the Lord. Isaiah 40, 31 reminds us that those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. And it's the kind of strength that, that women need to accomplish everything that God has called you to accomplish. You know, as we celebrate our moms today, it's the kind of strength that our moms need to do all the different things that they do for us. And again, that strength comes from the Lord. And the original language that's used there not only means kind of this muscle strength, but also has this idea of preparing to do something heroic. So ladies, I hope you know that you are heroes in the eyes of those that you pour into. Then the last part of this verse says that she laughs without fear of the future. So ladies, would you describe your days as days filled with laughter? As days filled with joy, or do you find yourself filling up your days with anxiety and with worry? See, this is why I know the strength we talked about is strength from the Lord. It's not strength she manufactured on her own. Because the reason she can laugh without fear of the future is because she serves a good and faithful God. See, Proverbs 31 talks a lot about how hard she works. It talks a lot about her attentiveness. It talks a lot about how she gets up before dawn and is working, and then when she's still working when the sun goes down. But that's not why she doesn't fear the future. I want to make sure we don't miss that point. It's not her hard work. It's not her effort that causes her to laugh and not have fear for the future. It's because she trusts in a faithful, mighty God. So ladies, if you struggle with anxiety, if you struggle with fear, getting up earlier having a longer checklist, trying harder, it's not going to solve it. It might be a temporary band-aid, but it's not going to address the real issue. You'll be able to have that laughter without fear of the future when you learn to wait on the Lord and learn to receive His strength. That takes us to mark number two of a godly woman, which is compassion. See this in verse 20. So she extends a helping hand to the poor and opens her arms to the needy. I think this is one of those differences between men and women that society wants to pretend doesn't exist, but it's pretty plain to me that generally women are more compassionate than men. 
I know there are exceptions to that, but overall, if you look, women are more compassionate and more nurturing than men are. I know in my marriage, it's not even close. Like, I have learned so much about compassion from Rhonda. Now, I remember a couple of years ago, we were buying groceries for a family who had fallen on hard times. And so Ron and I are in the grocery store, and I'm like on full-blown, just be practical, cheap mode, right? So I'm getting like great value mac and cheese. I'm picking up the ramen noodles. You know, I'm getting cans of soup, canned vegetables. When I go to the ground beef, I'm getting the 70-30, right? You know what I'm talking about. I'm going as cheap as I can. And Rhonda is getting fresh fruit and fresh vegetables. She's getting chicken breasts, and, and she's throwing back the 70-30 and getting the 93-7. And I'm like, we don't even eat 93-7. Like, what's going on? Because you know? I just want to check the box. But Rhonda wants to bless them. Rhonda has compassion on them. I've learned so much about compassion from her. And then I think about this verse in Romans 12 that exhorts us to weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice. And ladies, you're just way better at it than we are. Right, guys, have you ever noticed when, when one lady tells another lady something exciting, there's screaming, there's laughter, there's usually hugging, right? Every now and then there's what I call the fake jump. They kind of bend down and clap, but they don't really jump. I can't do it well because I'm a guy, but you know what I'm talking about, right? And yet when guys share something really exciting, it's like, yeah, good job. We just, we're just not as good at it as you are. So you have this compassion. Now, one of the things that can kill compassion is comparison. See, if you're, if you're always inwardly focused, if you're always worried about how you stack up compared to everyone else, you're not going to be compassionate towards others. And I want to bring that up, ladies, because even in this sermon, this idea of these five marks of a godly woman, there's going to be this temptation to compare your marks to someone else's. Don't get stuck in that trap because the way you exhibit strength is going to look different than the way some of the other women exhibit strength. The way you work hard is going to be different than the way some of the other women work hard. Even the way you're compassionate might look different. You might not be in a financial situation where you could go out and meet a physical need like that. But you could still pray for that family. You could write them a note of encouragement. You could call them. You could serve them in some way. So don't let the devil get you caught in this comparison trap. Because if you do, it'll rob you of your joy and it's going to diminish the amount of compassion that you have for others. And then, guys, one last thought about this idea of compassion. Don't handcuff your wife's generosity. Don't be the cheap, practical guy like I was trying to be. Encourage your wives in this gift. Encourage them to be compassionate. Let's talk about Mark number three. Wisdom. Proverbs 31, 26 says, When she speaks, her words are wise, and she gives instructions with kindness. Now, as with the strength we talked about earlier, where does this wisdom come from? Because it's more than just information, right? Proverbs 9.10 says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So information is part of wisdom, but it's just a part of it. Real wisdom is applying God's perspective to life. It's making decisions that honor Him. And so, ladies, if you want to be able to speak words that are wise you need to be in God's Word. You need to be renewing your mind like Romans 12 tells us to do. When God's Word renews our mind, when it's, when it's healthy, then we're going to speak words that are wise. And then, man, I would say, please listen to the wise words of the women in your life. 
Don't be arrogant. Again, God created us differently. He created us to complement one another. There's times that the women in your life are just going to have a perspective that you simply don't have. And we would be wise to listen to their words. We do ourselves a disservice when we don't listen to the wise women in our lives. In fact, I ask Rhonda for input on the majority of the sermons that I prep. I ask her to help me with phrases that I want to use. I ask her, do you think this analogy is a good one? I ask her, do you think this story will offend someone? And if she says yes, then I use it. (laughs) See, she said you would laugh at that. That's why I could throw that in there, because I knew you'd be okay with it. But her input is valuable to me because I know she has wisdom that comes from the fear of the Lord. So listen to that. Now there was a second part of that verse It says, her words are not only wise, but she gives instruction with kindness. So ladies, when you give instruction, do you do it with kindness? If you are a mom, that would be a great question to ask your kids today. When I give instruction, do I do it with kindness? If you're married, ask your husband when you tell him the correct way to load the dishwasher, do you do it with kindness? (laughs) If you're single, ask your coworkers, ask your friends, do you give instruction with kindness? Proverbs 16.24 says that kind words are like honey, sweet to the soul and satisfying to the body. And the word picture there is that they're like an ointment for a wound. They're like a healing salve. As I hope all of us, men and women, that we'd be marked by words that are wise, but also words that are kind. Okay, mark number four. Attentiveness comes from verse 27. It says, she carefully watches everything in her household and suffers nothing from laziness. She carefully watches everything in her household. Now, I want to make sure, guys, that we don't read anything that isn't expressed in the text. Okay, because here's what this text is not saying. It's not saying that a woman should stay home and take care of the house. It's not saying that, women, you should feel guilty if you work outside the home. That's not what this is saying at all. In fact, if you read all of Proverbs 31, it's very clear that she had responsibilities outside of her household. And not just in Proverbs 31, if you read Jesus' ministry, you see it. I want to take you to Luke chapter 8, verses 1 through 3. This is a verse we looked at a couple of weeks ago when we talked about the outsiders at the tomb. So Luke chapter 8, verse 1 says, The twelve were with him, meaning with Jesus, And also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out. Joanna, the wife of Shusa, the manager of Herod's household. Susanna and many others. And here's what I want to focus on. The last part of the verse says, These women were helping to support them out of their own means. Because these women had worked, because they had resources... They were an integral part of Jesus' earthly ministry. Now, contrary to what our culture is trying to tell women, the text is also not saying that you have more significance if you go outside the home and work. The text is not saying that your job is more important than your kids. And guess what, guys? The same goes for you. Just because you work outside the home doesn't mean that's more important than what you invest in your family. Just because our wives are attentive to the household doesn't give us permission to be neglectful. If God has called you to be a father or a mother, that is your most important role, is helping your kids to grow in the fear of the Lord. 
What it is saying is that she knows her household. If she is a mom, she knows the spiritual temperature of her children. She knows where they are in their walk with the Lord. She knows their strengths. She knows their weaknesses. She knows how they're doing in school. She knows who their friends are. If she's married, she knows her husband's primary love language. She knows what makes him feel respected. If you're single, you know what's going on in the workplace or at school. You're attentive to your financial situation. You know, you know where your money's going every month. It's also saying that she isn't lazy. So she doesn't spend hours and hours on social media while things get neglected. Now, just so we're clear, I'm not implying that women are more prone to be on social media than men. And I'm not implying that men are more prone to being lazy than men. We all can struggle with laziness. But what it is saying is she's on task. And I think this is one of the reasons we started with strength. Because it takes strength from the Lord to juggle all the many things that ladies juggle. But you know what? God has uniquely created women to be attentive. It's part of his beautiful design. Did you know that women in general are better multitaskers than men? In fact, there are anatomical differences in the way our brains are constructed that many researchers think cause women to be better at multitasking. We should celebrate these differences, not fight over them. I want to pause here for a second because it would be really easy right now to feel overwhelmed if you're a woman or to feel like you don't measure up. So I just want to make sure that, that we're not equating attentiveness with perfection. We're not talking about perfection here. We're not saying that you have to know every little detail about every person in your circle of influence. We're also not saying that that means nonstop activity. Women, you need some downtime. You need some time to recharge. You need to allow God to fill you with His love, with His grace, so that you can then pour it out to all those people in your circle of influence. And that's going to look different for some of you. For some of you, that means you need time away. For some of you, that could be exercise on a regular basis. It could be time in a good book. It could be scheduled times with friends or with a mentor. Whatever it is, men, encourage them in that. Help them to have that. Because in the long run, you'll all be blessed if she gets a chance to be regularly filled with God's love and His grace. And that brings us to the very last mark we're going to talk about today of a godly woman, and that is servanthood. See this in verses 11 through 12. It says, her husband can trust her and she will greatly enrich his life. She brings him good, not harm, all the days of her life. Now this is probably the mark of all the marks that's going to make you cringe just a little bit. Because you see this word servanthood up on the screen and it makes you think of another S word. <laughs> makes you think of submission, right? Some of you ladies are like, oh, I knew it. I knew eventually we were going to go down this road. The pastor's going to talk about submission. I want to remind you, in God's economy, everything is upside down. Jesus said the last will be first, and the first will be last. When we serve, when we submit, we do it from a place of strength, not a place of weakness. I want to stress, too, that even though this references that the woman's husband can trust her, being a wife is not the ultimate definition of being a woman. Neither is being a mom. So whether you're single or married, have children or don't have children, that doesn't define the type of godly woman that God is calling you to be. 
See, trust is an element of any healthy relationship. So if you're single, you can just replace the word husband here with friends, with coworkers, with family, right? Do the people in your relationship trust you? Do you look out for the good of those around you? Do you seek to serve the people around you and make their lives better? And if you feel like that somehow makes you less than, I would remind you that's exactly what Jesus did. It didn't make him any less powerful. It didn't give him any less dignity. In fact, just the opposite. Let me read Philippians 2. This is talking about Jesus Christ. It says, though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges and he took the humble position of a slave. He was born as a human being and when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor. And he gave him a name above all other names and that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Verse 9 in that passage says, Therefore, right? And anytime we're reading the Bible and you see therefore, you want to stop and ask, well, what is that therefore, <laughs> right? Therefore, so it was because Jesus said, then this is true. So it was because Jesus humbled himself that God lifted him to the place of highest honor. See, when we submit, when we serve, we do it because we're becoming more like Jesus. We do it from a place of strength, not a place of weakness. And guess what, men? Next week when we talk about leadership, we're talking about servant leadership. If you're not serving, you're not leading. At least not the way Jesus described leading. If you're not serving, guys, you're not becoming more like Jesus. So we see that Jesus modeled servanthood, but did you know he also modeled submission? Jesus modeled submission on the night that he was betrayed in the garden when he said, my father, if there's any way to take this cup from me, please take it. But I don't want my will to be done. I want your will to be done. Did that make Jesus any less powerful? Did that make him any less dignified? Did that make him any less God? Absolutely not. Now, have some men abused this and put their own spin on submission? Sure they have. Of course they have. But the principle behind it is from a loving God who has never abused it, who has a beautiful design, who not only knows what's best for us, he wants what is best for us. See, our culture hates words like submission and authority, but they're part of God's plan. They're part of God's design. And so I encourage you guys this week, I hope you'll have some conversations about what biblical submission looks like. What does biblical authority look like? And hopefully we've prepared you to have some of those. I want to wrap up with a quote from John Piper's book called What's the Difference? It's a great read. If you've never checked it out, I encourage you to read it. But Piper writes, I believe that the femininity to which God calls women is the path of freedom for every woman. It will not look the same in every woman, but it will lay responsibilities on all women in the same way that mature masculinity lays responsibilities on all men. I love it that Piper recognizes that these marks of a godly woman are not going to look the same in every woman. Again, don't get stuck in that comparison trap. And I also love the fact that he recognizes it leads to freedom. See, God's design, God's plan in your life never leads to bondage. 
It never leads to oppression. It's when we go our own way that that happens. When we follow God's plan, it leads to freedom. It leads to a rich and abundant life. Likewise, men, when we talk about biblical masculinity next week, when we pursue that, it leads to such a rich and satisfying life. Now, the masculinity that we're going to look at next week is going to have a little bit of overlap, like being a servant, but it's also going to be different because just like we talked about last week, God created male and female different. In fact, in the creation story, right, God looked over creation at the end of each day and he said, it is good. But when he created mankind, he looked and he said, it is very good. And part of what made it very good is the differences between men and women. We should celebrate that. I just want to close by saying thank you. First, thank you to the ladies. Thank you for your strength. Thank you for your compassion, your wisdom, your attentiveness, your service. Thank you for complimenting us. Thank you that your strengths helped to round out our weaknesses. And then second, I want to just thank God. I want to thank God for making men and women different. I want to thank God that I can trust that his design is good because he is good. Let's pray. Lord God, I know this series is, is challenging. I know we hear some of these things about men and women being different and, and about different roles, and I know it, it, it kind of stands in the face of everything that our culture is trying to tell us. And so God, anyone who's struggling with it today, I just pray that they would ask honest questions about why they're struggling with it. And again, if they feel it's because your word teaches something different, God, I pray they'd have the courage to have honest conversations. But if it just doesn't feel right, or if they just don't think it sounds right, God, I pray that they would know that they can trust you and your design. Because you are all-knowing. You are all-powerful. You are also good. And you know what is good for us, and you want what is good for us. So thank you, God, that your plan, your plan leads to freedom. Your plan leads to a rich and satisfying life. And so we praise you for that. We thank you for that. God, lastly, I just pray that, that every woman today would feel celebrated. Single or married, mom or not, God, I pray that they would all know they're appreciated, that they'd be treated with dignity. We love you and we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.